So we are continuing our journey through uh, this uh, month of celebration of the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and uh, today we're going to continue with sola fide, which is Latin for faith alone. This is one of the five solas that Martin Luther gave us. Um, Martin Luther, that great 16th century German reformer who I talked a lot about last week. Um, and if you missed last week and are interested in some of the history, because I'm not going to give as much background today or uh, really any background on what the Reformation was this week, um, I encourage you to listen to last week's, which is uh, posted on the website. Uh, so Martin Luther uh, said uh, the, that this principle, this faith alone principle, was the article upon which the church stands or falls. And John Wesley preached something similar, saying, I cannot describe the nature of this faith than... I cannot... I didn't even get, like, what, two minutes in? <laughs> All right, it's okay. We're going to keep going here. I cannot describe the nature of this faith better than in the words of our own church. The only instrument of salvation, whereof justification is one branch, is faith. That is, a sure trust and confidence that God both hath and will forgive our sins, that he hath accepted us into his favor for the merits of Christ's death and passion. So, um, especially if you don't speak half, uh, what they're basically trying to say here is uh, the basis upon which we've been accepted by God isn't what we do or what we fail to do. It's based in the love of God for all of us. And all we have to do is believe and receive it. There's no work that's good enough or act faithful enough for us to achieve salvation on our own. It is only found in and through God, the redemption by Christ and made known to us through the Holy Spirit. And so we find ourselves, we find our salvation through faith alone. Not in the breathing of our lungs, but in the believing of our souls. Which is my way of saying, not that, well, breathing's kind of an automatic thing that we all do, but it's an action that we take. But believing in our souls is something deeper. In and through Christ, we are invited to find and know this salvific faith. Because in Jesus, something changed. Not in God, but in our relationship to God. We see this change pointed to in our text this evening when Paul opens it with, but now, apart from the law. Now, in the Greek, to be apart was not just a simple, you know, I'm apart from the door over there. That's kind of a much more casual way. In the Greek, this word to be apart meant to be apart. In fact, it couldn't get more farther apart. Uh, so when Paul is writing this and he says that, uh, but now, apart from the law, he is saying in the strongest possible way that we've been separated from the law. That is not to say that the law is not important for guiding us, but that in this the law is set aside and not a factor for determining salvation because we are neither glorified or destroyed by the law because grace is apart from the law. The law matters, but there is grace to cover all of the times we fall short of the law. So what is asked of us then 
faith alone. Once we were held in bondage to sin and death, but now in Christ through faith we have been released, free to move past and beyond our sin, free to live in the righteousness of God. Now, this is kind of one of those simple concepts of church that's super complicated, if you will. This concept that we are separated from the law and that the law doesn't, it governs us, but it doesn't dictate our salvation. One of the possible great misconceptions of God is that uh, God keeps a tally of everything we do wrong and God is watching, God's waiting, that God is going to call you out if you don't ask for forgiveness for each and every sin that you've committed, and don't you dare forget one. This is, by the way, something Martin Luther actually really struggled with, because uh, in his early years, he uh, believed that if he didn't remember every prayer, if, or every sin, if he didn't pray to God for forgiveness for every single thing, that God would actually uh, extend his time in purgatory. Because remember, he's um, a Catholic, and this is especially a time when purgatory was part of their theology. And he was worried that if I don't remember to ask for forgiveness for every single thing I've done in my life, God will extend my time in purgatory. And purgatory was kind of like, so there was hell, and that's where you were damned. And then there was purgatory, which was kind of like hell light. Um, definitely not heaven. Uh, and that's a very oversimplification of a very complex doctrine uh, of the Catholic Church. So um, I know that's an oversimplification, but for the purposes of this, just think of it that way. So he was worried about, he's like, I'm not so worried about going to hell, but I'm worried about being stuck in that purgatory for a longer period of time. And then he realized in reading the scripture and, and reading these words of Paul that there actually was something more than the law, that it wasn't about the law, that it was about this free gift that we have been given called grace. Because like in Wonder Woman, which, if you joined us on Tuesday, you'll know this, or if maybe you've seen it on your own. If not, I'm, I was told I should say spoiler alert for this. I tried to gauge. I wasn't sure, but just in case, I don't think it gives anything away. Spoiler alert. Um, there is a part of the movie where uh, Wonder Woman, Diana, is face-to-face is face, face with Ares, the god of war, and they're having this conversation, we'll say, and in this conversation, Ares says, you're wasting your time with humanity. They're not worth it. And Diana, uh, they're not worth your sympathy. And you can see on Diana in this moment, as she looks around at this particular scene, that yes, there is great brokenness in humanity. And humanity probably isn't worth the love of God. And yet, in that moment, she also sees past all of the things immediately in front of her and sees to the goodness of humanity. God sees us in much the same way. God knows us better than we know ourselves, but God is able to see past our sin and see the people that God created us to be. 
In that we are justified, we are made whole. That justifying word that um, Paul used several times is about being made whole, of knowing God. It's when uh, we call the moment of justification that moment when you come to believe, to understand, to know that you are a beloved child of God, that God loves you, that you were, were created by God, that you were forgiven by God, that your sins, past, present, and future, have already for, been forgiven, and God is just waiting for us to receive that forgiveness. That is to be justified. And so, in that made whole. Now, also, what Paul is trying to tell us in this passage is that we cannot earn or buy or beg our way to salvation because it comes through faith alone. You also remember from last week, if you were here, uh, that I talked about indulgences and uh, the way people could f actually purchase their way out of purgatory um, with these indulgences that were given to the church. And so if you were wealthy enough, you could buy your way literally out of hell, theoretically. At least that's what they were selling the people. And Martin Luther looked around and said, no, faith alone saves you. There is no amount of money on this earth that can buy you salvation. Because it is only through faith. So having established that it is by faith alone, what does it mean to have faith? Because that's kind of one of those church words again um, that I like to throw around and sometimes not explain very well. So tonight I want to do that though. Well, for one thing, having faith is a journey. Understanding that we all begin at one point. Um, uh, from my uh, college days, one of those terms that I picked up was the term baby Christian. Um, that meant you had just come to find faith for yourself. Um, some people might call this having just gotten saved or um, any other way you might think about it. But it's really where you have come to that moment of understanding yourself to be a follower of Christ and of being a Christian. And maybe you're just beginning to explore what that means. Now, your faith is obviously going to look very different than, say, someone like... Um, Hopefully, someone like me, in the sense that I've been uh, a professing Christian now for much, most of my adult life, so I've been doing this for a little while. Uh, hopefully, after this, all these years, I've begun to grow in my faith. And hopefully, folks who are much older than me, they've been walking the faith for, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, however many years, are even more mature in the faith. Uh, because as we, as we grow in our faith, as we grow in age, as time goes by, our faith should hopefully be growing as well. But that's not to say that I can actually compare my faith to any others. Because you know what? Something happened in my life that didn't happen in your life. And something happened in your life that didn't happen in mine. And maybe that something was a really great thing that just boosted my faith. And so I grew really strong in my faith. Or... Maybe it was something that was really devastating to me and it, it hampered my faith growth. But whatever it is, our faith is a journey. And so we begin by thinking about having faith 
is walking through the ups and downs, the times when we feel incredibly close to God, and the times when God feels so distant that we can't even imagine ever finding God again. God is with us in those times and our faith grows and deepens. Now, tonight I also want to just talk about a few pathways in which that happens. How do we get to this faith alone thing? Because this faith alone thing also doesn't happen overnight. Um, all of us are on the journey towards perfection. I love when I figured out it wasn't a journey to perfection, it was towards perfection. Because suddenly that becomes much more uh, reachable. I'm just on a journey towards it. God is perfection in God, in Christ, in the Holy Spirit. Someday, in eternity, I will reach it. But right here, right now, I'm just on my journey towards it. And so this faith alone thing doesn't happen overnight. But it does happen in many ways. And I'm going to talk about four pathways really quickly here. Uh, and the first is, and maybe foremost, is trusting. Now, this is the important task of not trusting me or trusting one another, though those things are important, but trusting God, of relying on God. Think about the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. When God is the one who is in charge, I have no wants. That's what that passage is saying. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Imagine trusting in God that much. Trusting that God is going to care for you, that God has uh, uh, designed the world to be a place that nurtures us, that God has guided others into our lives so that we might walk with each other, that God wants good for us. Trusting, though, can be a bit reckless because as I've said before here, this, I think this semester, you know, trust is something that most of us have had broken at some point. And so the Spirit invites us into a bit of recklessness with God because Christ lived and died so that we might know and understand this eternal gift of everlasting life. God invites us to be reckless in trust, to step out in faith and trust that God wants good for us. Trusting's hard, though. Just to be clear, trusting is really hard. Because sometimes, there are days that I wake up and I'm like, God, are you sure? Like, really? Ask me later. I have some stories I can tell. I probably won't tell them, though, because <laughs> they're probably not the ones that your pastor is supposed to tell you, but I can tell you some stories about some times I've gone through of, of things that Trusting in God is hard. Doesn't mean that I don't love God or I stop being a Christian. It just meant trusting is hard. So the second is believing. Now, uh, Paul uses uh, this word believe in the passage today uh, eight times, and it's the word um, pisteo, which, uh, it, which in the Greek means believe. And basically, it's stressing the significance that belief plays in our faith. Uh, as United Methodist, we um, 
from time to time will recite the Apostles' Creed. Uh, from whatever traditions you're from, you might recite that from time to time. If you don't know, that's the one that believe, it begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and keeps going on. Um, but it's a, it, it opens with this line that is, uh, well, and the creed, by the way, is something that the church came up with uh, many years ago as kind of one of the things that binds us together. This is the, a creed for all of the apostles, not just the apostles of Jesus as in like the 12 disciples who became the apostles, but all of the apostles. This is the the beliefs that we all have. So when I say I believe in God the Father Almighty, I'm saying I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Notice they didn't say I believe that God the Father Almighty created heaven and earth, but I believe in. Because to believe in something is more than just believing that God exists, but says I believe and trust in God. That's where these things start intertwining together. Belief and trust. The third pathway is, uh, is hoping. Now our Christian faith is, and this is one of my favorite seminary words, because the first time I ever heard it, I went, I have no idea what that is. Uh, the Christian faith is eschatological, meaning it's, it's, it sounds like a really complex term, but basically it means looking forward uh, or looking toward what comes next, what comes after this. And it's uh, not just our lives, but the grand scheme of the universe and all of God's good creation. And so this hoping means we're leaning into God's promise that we trust and believe that God is working to bring about God's ultimate peace for the world and for us. It means simply that we are not a Good Friday people, um, stuck in the sadness and the empty, uh, the uh, sadness and the darkness of the tomb, but we celebrate the emptiness of the tomb and the risen Christ as an Easter people and the gift of everlasting life. This is where we place our hope. We are people looking toward what God is doing in the world. So we're believing and trusting and hoping. These are the things that make up faith. And then one final thing. Uh, it's following. When we say we have faith, we're doing more than just saying we hold these things in our hearts. We're saying that faith transforms our lives and calls us to be and live differently. Whatever that might be for us. Uh, because it's not so much that we're living differently than what we did before, though presumably we are. We're living differently than the world because we live in a different, uh, we have a different standard. We have God's standard, not the world's standard. And it means it calls us to respond. Uh, bishop Easterling, uh, who's the resident bishop here in the Baltimore, Washington conference, uh, wrote a response after last Sunday's shooting massacre. And she, one of the things she said in it was, and as we pray, may we remember that prayer is more than words. Prayer is also action. When we have the opportunity, may we act in concert with our prayers. Our faith is lived out not just in the ways that we believe and trust and hope, 
but in the things that we do. James 2.17 reminds us that faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Not that there are works that save us, but that out of our faith, the natural reaction will be our good works. That as a people who follow God, who are following our faith, we are called to act. Because we also believe that faith... um, I heard this great uh, uh, metaphor once. Um, Sometimes we we get caught up in in faith being just this, just us and God. But it is us and God and us and one another. And so it is the cross, us and God. It's both. Because, sure, I can take care of my own salvation, I can have faith in my own, but what is it if I don't share that with my sibling here at AU or with those that I meet? And by sibling, I mean sibling in the human family, not so much uh, direct family. We are called to act on our faith, and in that, as we act on our faith, as we attempt to live out our faith, we'll grow in our faith and grow deeper in it, because as we go and act we won't always get it right. We're going to stumble and fall and fall flat on our face and, and maybe sometimes even uh, really embarrass ourselves. I mean, look at me. I get up here every week and I guarantee I say something from time to time that I'm like, why did I say that? But we act. And in that we grow. And we learn. We learn from our mistakes and we change. And we grow deeper. So, This whole thing that we do, we trust, we hope, we follow, and we believe. (laughs) See, I almost forgot my own thing, and I just did it. Uh, Trust, hope, believe, and follow. But remember, we don't do it all overnight. I'm expecting no one to walk out of here and have perfect faith alone in God and in God's uh, saving grace as we walk out of these doors today because none of us get there overnight. We're going to spend a lifetime working and seeking to be perfect. And it's going to be a journey of ups and downs and there's going to be times when God feels really close and there's going to be times where God feels really distant and times where God feels somewhere in between. Not that God ever goes anywhere, but just our ability to see God sometimes gets hindered. And sometimes faith will come easy, and at times it will feel like a heavy burden. But in all things, trusting, believing, hoping, and following, this we hold as true. The assurance of salvation is through faith and faith alone. And we never have to worry about being good enough to reach it because God's gift is God's grace. And it is free. Amen.